0: I feel you might not be able to tell it from the outside, but I feel a, a sense of tremendous importance about the morning. I feel this is a very important morning for us. I loved your presentation of singing and music this morning. It was very, uh, it was it was quiet, but it was very respectful and very worshipful to me. It felt uh, it felt very very uh, inviting to me, and I enjoyed it very much. And I appreciate it. I want to share with you this morning on a word. A little bit unusual word, but the word is circumstance. Circumstance. That's our subject for the morning. In order to begin to talk about the word circumstance, we need to look at what the word means. What does the word mean? Circumstance. You can tell by just listening to the word circumstance. That's really two words that are kind of brought together two concepts that are tied together. You know what stance is? Stance is your position, where you are, your position, where you take your stand, your location, your stance. Circum, of course, is the idea of circumference, circumnavigate. It's it's the idea of being encircled by, by condition. So circumstance is to be encircled by or surrounded by condition. And if you think about it with me this morning, that's exactly what it is. That's what it portrays. This is the word. That's what it means. And when we use the word circumstance, we mean that we are standing in a location and we are surrounded by conditions or a condition. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So I could ask the question this morning, not inviting you to respond out loud necessarily, but what is your circumstance? What is your circumstance? Where are you standing and what are you surrounded by? Where are you standing and what are you surrounded by? I'm going to take you in a moment to 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about Elisha. We always talk about Elijah, but we're going to speak this morning and share a little bit about Elisha. Elisha was the prophet, of course, who followed Elijah in Israel, and we want to, there was a double anointing of the Spirit that was on Elijah, it was on Elisha. Elisha did many more miracles than did Elijah, but he had a double portion of the anointing upon him. I'll show you a picture, but before I do that, I'm going to read from chapter 6 of 2 Kings in verse 8. This is talking about the king of Syria now who's engaged in warlike acts against Israel. And he has these designs, malevolent, uh, evil designs toward Israel. Elisha is a prophet in Israel. It says, time after time, when the king of Syria was at war against the Israelites, he met with his officers and announced, I've decided where we will set up our camp. We're going to set up ambushments against the Israelites, and I've determined where those will be located. Each time Elisha would send this warning to the king of Israel, don't go near there. That's where the Syrian troops have set up camp. Before I show you this picture, you're going to really be excited now. I've promised this picture two or three times and haven't showed it to you yet. (laughs) What is this picture? You know, we deal, as we all know, we deal with empirical evidence. Empirical evidence. You say, are you a fan of empirical evidence? Yes, I am. Empirical evidence, though, has its limitations. Empirical evidence is the evidence that we determine from our senses. If you're in a courtroom or if you're in a classroom then you're going to be presented what would be described as empirical evidence. But the Bible is such a unique presentation of ideas. The Bible talks about a reality that we do not see with the natural senses or feel or hear from or perceive with our natural senses. The Bible talks about a spiritual realm. The Bible says that the spiritual realm is ultimate reality, that the spiritual realm is eternal. That from the eternal spiritual realm came the material realm and everything that we perceive around us and draw our empirical evidence from is created but that from which it came is not created but eternal that's the presentation of the scriptures the presentation of the scriptures is that you cannot and may not come to really know these spiritual verities just by empirical evidence Empirical evidence results in religions, ideologies, philosophies. But empirical evidence does not know what faith is, biblical faith. Empirical evidence does not provide us with faith. It does not. This is the reason why we could see miracle after miracle after miracle and and all these kinds of things and hear the greatest sermons and teachings from the scriptures and not necessarily come into real Bible faith if we are only perceiving it with our natural senses. The Bible presents empirical evidence. But the real message of the Scripture is not provided by empirical evidence or that which we perceive by our natural senses. But the real presentation of the Scripture is that which we receive by spiritual perception. And Bible faith comes that way. And that's the only way Bible faith comes. And So Elisha knew by way of spiritual revelation what the king of Syria was doing and thinking and deciding. It was revealed to Elisha, not by empirical evidence, but by revelation of the Spirit so he would say to the king of of israel then well don't go near here and don't go near there because they have entrapments set up for you the king of syria came to believe that he had a traitor among him his uh, foremost men he kept he kept these uh plans of his very secret and how else could the uh, the king of of israel know about these things unless he had a traitor among his most trusted advisors and then someone came and said, no, no, no. What's happening is there is a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha. And he knows the things that you whisper in your most secret places. Because he's a prophet of the God of Israel. And he's telling the king of Israel these things. And so, then the king of Syria reasons and says, I must then eliminate Elijah, or Elisha. Elisha has already gone. Elijah has already gone. I'm going to get these two really mixed up. (laughs) You're going to say, did he talk about Elisha or Elijah? Well, they're so closely related that, but they are different human beings. Similar anointing. Double portion on Elisha. So he determined that he would arrest Elisha they said he's in a city or a village called dothan he ordered his best troops to go there with horses and chariots and they marched out during the night and they surrounded the town remember it says these are his best troops and they go out in vast numbers and they surround the settlement of dothan and when elisha the servant got up in the next get up the next morning he saw that syrian troops had the town surrounded, encircled. They were standing in a place that was encircled. This was their circumstance. And the servant said to Elisha, Sir, what are we going to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And the servant didn't see anyone the servant only saw these numbers of Syrian troops encircling their city. It might have been a small area, but it was called a city. Not like New York City. You know, It's small. And Elisha said, those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? well what 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 this is saying is that there there are there is a circumstance that is capable of surrounding <laughs> your circumstance. elisha is encircled by hostile troops who are intent on arresting him, and if the king of Syria has his way, he will kill him. And this is all that the servant, this is all empirical evidence can reveal. But to see the realities that are outside of that, that are beyond that. And they surely exist, and this is the message of the Bible. The Bible testifies to these realities. And our purpose this morning is to the very best of the ability that we have in the assistance of the Lord Jesus is to, tell, is to say and set forth what the Scriptures say. And then come and dine. We have to come and dine. So he said, those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Well, he, let's look at the picture here and see what this reveals is a settlement with walls, and you see a couple of individuals here and you see out surrounding the settlement, you see horses and riders and chariots in significant numbers. And this, if the picture could, uh, was capable of capturing the entire surroundings, these would encircle the entire city or settlement. What are we going to do? There's no way. You remember when we used to watch movies? We used to, we don't watch movies much anymore, but when we were younger, you know, the movies and stuff, and they'd get somebody who they were looking for. The police would be looking for somebody, and they would find them in a certain place, and they would get the, you know, the, the megaphone, you know, and the bullhorn, and they would say, you're totally and completely surrounded, right? They would say, you're completely surrounded. In other words, Give yourself up, come out with your hands raised and all this kind of thing. You know, uh, surrender yourself to us because you are completely surrounded. In other words, there's no way for you to escape the circumstance, the condition that encircles you, has power over you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's the natural order. That's the natural order. And that's the condition that the servant of Elisha saw. But When he said this, you, those who are with us outnumber those who are with them, I just wonder what he meant by that. He didn't say, Now you might think this is nitpicking, but I don't think it is. He didn't say, those who, whom you see out there those who are with us outnumber those who you see out there he didn't say that he didn't really say that he said those who are with us outnumber those who are with them who are them them are the ones <laughs> that might not make correct grammar but i'll just say it that way them are the ones <laughs> That you see, right? But he said, those who are with us are greater, greater in number, greater in ability, greater in power, greater in strength than those who are with them. Well, when I come into the New Testament and I read the writings of the Apostle Paul, and he's discussing in Ephesians, for example, he's talking about he's talking about the former lives of those who had become believers in Jesus Christ and are born again of the Spirit and are new creations in Christ Jesus. And now we're beginning to receive vision and revelation from the spiritual realm by the Holy Spirit. He talked about their former life and he said, you were dead in your trespasses And in your sins, you didn't have any life of God in you because you were dead, spiritually dead towards God. You had a spirit, but it was dead toward God. And you were just, your condition was, your circumstance was, you were encircled and caught up in your trespasses and your sins. He said, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, The spirit now working in the disobedient. Now there is a spiritual realm that is evil. And that spiritual realm that is evil is the one who rules over what is described in in this translation as the lower heavens. But it's the spiritual realm. Not the physical air up there. But it's the spiritual realm. But it's the lower realm. It's not the third heaven or it's not the, the place where God dwells but it's a lower spiritual realm and there's a ruler who exercises authority over this and he said informally in your former manner of living in your lives you were basically caught up in this realm and you were ruled by this realm in the way you lived your life and the result of that is trespasses and sins trespasses and sins What I want to say this morning is very important: is that this is not. We do not live in this world unaffected by the spiritual realm. Every one of us is affected by the spiritual realm. People who say, "Well, I'm not. A, I'm not into that stuff." I'm not, they are being influenced by the spiritual realm as they say that. Sadly, oftentimes they are not being influenced and directed and governed by the Spirit of God but they are being influenced and governed by the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. This is what the Bible teaches. And it's very, very serious. And he said, before you were saved, he said you previously lived among them in fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of your flesh and thoughts, And you were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. This is the spirit who is with the Syrians. This is the spirit and the spiritual realm that is with the Syrians. And Elisha says, greater are they, those who are with us, than those who are with them. Now this is our heritage as Christians. This is the teaching of the scriptures. This is the revelation of God's word. We have access to a realm that is able to encircle that which encircles us. The condition that surrounds us that says we have you under our control. That realm itself is subject to control. And we have to see this And this is where faith comes. We'll talk a little bit more about faith as we proceed. Another picture, Pat. You know what this is going to be, don't you? You might have to move that mouse every once in a while or else the thing will go to sleep like it did last Sunday. And we don't want that to go to sleep and we don't want you all to go to sleep either. (laughs) There it is. uh, Somebody portrayed it. Now, here they are, same as before. There's the Syrians around them, the same as before, but oh, now I see, because my eyes have been opened, oh, now I see the servant Gehazi. He says, now I see. Oh, now I see. Now, let me ask you, think about this with me. How did Gehazi uh, feel before he could see this at the top? While he could only see these around them, He felt, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? What can we do now? Right? Hopeless. When his eyes were opened as a result of the prayer from Elisha, and he saw this, then he saw that those who are with us on our side, for us, to protect us, are so much greater in power, number, than those who are against those who are with them, right? How did he feel them? Let me ask you. What is faith? You know, I know you, you, you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, you know, the manifesting of things not seen, or the evidencing of things not seen, or the substance of things not seen, right? But faith is confidence. it doesn't matter how you slice it or try to you know figure faith is confidence. I'm going to say faith is confidence. that's what it is. Faith is confidence. This think in the natural realm, if I were to ask you to put your faith in something in which you have no confidence, <laughs> think about it. Put your trust. put your trust in somebody. In whom you have absolutely zero confidence. You can't do that. Can you do that? You cannot do that. You would say those things are mutually exclusive. I cannot put my confidence in someone or something in whom I have no confidence. I can't I, I can't. I can't trust that in which I have no confidence. And in the spiritual realm it's the same. It's the same. There has to be a confidence. That's faith, a confidence. But what we're saying is the confidence does not come through empirical revelation. The confidence comes through spiritual revelation according to the Word of God that is revealed by the Holy Spirit. And when the servant saw this, I want to tell you that his confidence level just shot up through the roof. And he now had no fear whatsoever of this, when he saw this. But before he saw that, he had tremendous fear of this. But when the moment and the second he saw this, his fear of this (laughs) vanished, right? Why? Because his confidence was in this. That's faith. His faith was in this, his confidence was in this. It's always that way. That's why we've been talking the way we have the last few weeks and sharing the things we have shared is because that's the way it is. Thank you, Patricia. So it says, Then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and, and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Assyrians came against him or they came down, that's what they did. They... They came down into the uh, village or the uh, location where Elisha was. The Syrians, they came down. And Elisha prayed to the Lord and he said, Please strike this nation with blindness. Strike these people with blindness, he said. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. They were struck with blindness. Now, I've always thought of this until I looked into it a little more deeply. You know, there's something to be said for looking into things a little more deeply. Because we can have ideas that aren't quite exactly right. You know, we read and hear things in Sunday school and some of us never go beyond the perceptions of Sunday school. We just perpetuate the experience of Sunday school throughout our lives. We're not intended to do that. We're intended to grow and develop and mature. And the blindness is not a physical blindness, that they cannot see anything, is not that kind of blindness. The blindness is a unique word that's used in several places and as it is used, it means to not understand what they see. To see something but not perceive what they see or to see it incorrectly. So when they came down into the place where Elisha was, Elisha said to them, you you know, you've been mistaken, you're looking for... Elisha and Dothan this is not the place this is not the place Uh, you know if you want I can just guide you to the place I'll guide you to the place oh would you do that for us you see they don't perceive the reality of the things that this is the nature of the blindness they could see physically see things but they didn't understand what they saw they had confusion they lost control over what was before them. This is what happens when the realm of the Spirit of God begins to take authority over the natural realm or over the lower spiritual realm is it loses control of that which is before them. I'll give you a couple of examples of this from Jesus' life and ministry. One time in Jerusalem, another time in Nazareth. One time in Jerusalem, he's talking to the scribes and the religious leaders, Pharisees, and he said these words, he said, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And he equated in their minds and hearing, he equated himself with God. And they saw that as blasphemy, so they picked up stones. And they were going to stone him to death for blasphemy. But something happened. Something happened that they somehow he was able to walk right out of the temple and they were not able to see him. You see, it's the same thing happened to them in Jerusalem, the scribes and Pharisees, that happened to the Syrian military. They could see, but they lost the power over that which was before them. They entered into a period of confusion and it could be something as simple as seeing him, but not recognizing him. You see, seeing. Oh, where where did he go? He 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 was here. Where did he go? Well, he he just walked out. You you could be there. And you say, well, he just walked. They didn't see him walk out. He walked right out, but they didn't see him. This is the kind of blindness. You see. The other time was in Nazareth, where he came to his own hometown. He read the scriptures before them. He said, a prophet is never really accepted in his own hometown. And the people, of course, isn't this Joseph's son and so on? And they were enraged by the words that he shared with them. And they grabbed him, took hold of him. See, they had some power now to do this. They grabbed him and they rushed him towards a, a hill where there was a cliff upon which Nazareth was located. And there was a cliff there. And they grabbed him and rushed him towards this cliff with the intent of throwing him over the cliff. And at some point, as they are proceeding towards the cliff, this kind of blindness comes upon them. Same kind of blindness. Had this blindness come upon the Roman soldiers who arrested Jesus, they never could have arrested him or taken him into custody. You see, but... It was the will of God for him to be put to death for our sins. He voluntarily placed himself under their custody. In Nazareth, it says he passed through the crowd. He just, he just basically walked through them. You say, well, how could that happen? How did that happen? They were visited with this unique kind of blindness. It's a confusion, misunderstanding, misapprehension. It's to lose power over those things that are around and in front of them. And the thing that a moment before they had power to rule over, now they have no power to rule over it anymore. This is the example of demonic release. That's what it is. And all other kinds of things like sins that bind people. They lose their power. You and I know that uh, at one time in our lives there were things that bound us that we were perhaps addicted to or enslaved to in our lives, but now you're not. And you can't even hardly, when you think of it now, you can't even hardly imagine yourself ever being enticed by certain things that you're not enticed by at all now. It's lost its power over you. Well, that's the kind of blindness, but it was the blindness and this influence of greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. So it comes down again to a circumstance, the condition that we are encircled by. It's very important to realize whenever we are encircled by a condition that is not of the Lord, that that condition itself is a provision made for that condition itself to be encircled. Just like this. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, you know, a catechism is basically a series of questions and answers. And the first one is, what is the chief end of man? The answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And then I'm reminded of Jesus actually explaining that. And he said, what really glorifies God? So if our chief purpose is to glorify God, then what does it mean to glorify God? And Jesus gave the answer in John 15. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And this follows the vine and the branches parallel, a parable that he gave them. So basically what he is saying is my father is glorified as you do the works that I do in and through you. My works done through you glorifies God. All right, well, what glorifies God then would be to do through us the works that Jesus did. That's what glorifies God. Why don't we just dispense with all this? Really, from a biblical standpoint, I don't want to sound too pompous or anything. That's not my intention. But, you know, the, the, the revelation of Scripture is so clear that we would need to be blind, a certain kind of blindness, not to see it. We're so preoccupied many times with, well, maybe this is not the will of God. Maybe this is not the will of God. The will of God is always that the works of Messiah Jesus are manifested in the earth because the works of Jesus are the works of God. He was dedicated to the works of the Father. And he said, this is the way the Father is glorified. And if your chief purpose is to glorify God, then the way in which we glorify God is to produce much fruit the fruit that is produced by Jesus Christ in and through our lives let's come to another circumstance there was the mountain of transfiguration later on in the ministry of Jesus not exactly at the end but a little bit later on Peter, James and John accompanied Jesus to the mountain and he was transfigured there And when they came down, you remember how he was transfigured, what a transformation that was. And when they came down from the mountain, the nine disciples who did not go up, the nine disciples, Jesus observes them and they're debating with the scribes and the Pharisees. There's this big debate going on. And Jesus said, what are you debating about as he comes toward them? It says, out of the crowd, one man answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to drive it out. But they couldn't. And these nine disciples are perplexed because they have had tremendous success at driving out demons. Jesus had given them authority to do so, and they had come back rejoicing that they were able. Even the demons are subject unto us. But in this particular case, they could not. How did they try to drive the, the demon out of the man, the young man? They did that by speaking. They did that by authoritative speech. They did the same thing in this case that they had done in many, 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 many other previous cases. But this time something, the results are different this time. See the circumstance that is encircling this young man is unchanged. And Jesus said to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought him to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy. It immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has, he been, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. And he said, from childhood. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is the surrounding condition of this young, young boy or young man. And then Jesus said to him, If you can have faith, everything is possible to the one who believes. Now there's a real emphasis that Jesus places now on Faith. And first, he may, he put the emphasis on faith when he first responded to the disciples. You know, uh, when they said your disciples couldn't uh, cast him out, and Jesus said, you "Unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? <laughs> Faithless." And now he says to the Father, he says, "If you can believe, everything is possible to the one who believes." obviously now this is an is a moment now where the um, realm and the necessity of faith is being taught it says immediately the father of the boy cried out he said i do believe help my unbelief how many times have you sort of struggled with that i do believe but help my unbelief well it it could be very simple it could be just you know i i do believe up to a point i have a level of belief but I, I need it perfected, I need it increased. It's it's not at the level that it could and should be. It could be just that simple. And how many of us would not identify sometimes with that? When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, you see, again now through authoritative speech. It's always this way in the ministry of uh, the New Covenant, ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the New Covenant, is to exercise authority through authoritative speech. But they had been doing this all along, and it hadn't worked. So it's not just the speech, you see. There's something else. It's not just the speech. It has to be the speech at some point. But it's not just the speech. I wrote something a number of years ago on Speak the Word Only, my concern is often that as people would read that, they might come away thinking that that the message here is just, you have to say these words, you have to say these words. But that's really not the message. That's really not the entire message. And so Jesus said, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. These are very important words. Come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking, convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. Now, after Jesus went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, and how many of us have read this? He said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And you know the different ways people have looked at this. Does he mean this kind of faith doesn't come out or this kind of demon doesn't come out? When he said, this kind cometh out not but by prayer and fasting, is he saying this kind of faith or this kind of demon? Do you know what I'm saying to you this morning? It's both. It's both there's really not a distance between those two. Some translations, according to some of the ancient texts, do not use the word fasting. Some just use the word prayer. This kind comes out only by nothing but by prayer. Others include by prayer and fasting. The idea that Jesus is communicating to his disciples is that there will be times and there will be circumstances and situations when you're going to issue the authoritative command and the command will be ineffective. Let's go back to our circumstance, okay? Uh, the condition that is encircling a person. But we're saying, but there's another conditioning, a condition that is encircling that, that has power over it. But sometimes in the spiritual realm, there's something lacking or missing so that there is a failure to exercise control or authority over the condition that is encircling the individual. And Jesus is saying that in these kinds of situations, there is nothing except, no substitute for prayer, and I'm going to conclude fast, prayer and fasting because they do go together. The fasting goes with prayer because fasting permits the prayer to be more keen or acute or focused. Fasting permits a superior level of prayer. That's why they go together. But the result of this kind of prayer with fasting is an increased, accelerated, much higher level of faith. There's no disconnect between this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting referring to this kind of demon or this kind of faith because both are the result of prayer and fasting. But the first one is the level, superior level of faith. The superior level of faith means there's a revelation from the realm of the spirit and kingdom of God and government of God, revealing the word of God that permits a level of confidence that the person has never experienced before. I've never had this level of confidence on this matter before. Now that I have this level of confidence or faith on this, now... I have the authority to command it in Jesus' authority and it must obey. When you know that when you speak the word in His name that whatever you're speaking to will obey, that's when you have the faith because you have the confidence. That's what it is. So there are degrees and quality of faith prayer with fasting perfects and increases the faith now the spoken command is with a complete confidence based on revelation say what was the revelation well it's the same revelation going right back to Elisha see Elisha knew that (laughs) the that the armies of heaven were encircling the armies of Syria how did he know that he knew that by his communion with God and the revelation of the Spirit and Word of God to him. He, he knew it. This is what the Spirit-filled life is. Let's not, let's not shrink back from it. The life that we are called to live in and through the Lord Jesus Christ is this kind of life where the reality of the things of the Spirit of God that are not discerned by our natural senses where those verities and realities become real and clear to us and that only happens by spiritual revelation the word being revealed by the spirit to us and when we see them like that by that kind of revelation then the confidence in them is possible and when the confidence in them is at the right level because there's a growth in these things there's development in these areas when the confidence is at the right level, then there's nothing that can stand in the way of the commanded speech or the speech that commands. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, I'm presenting this to you this morning. I'm presenting this to you this morning because I see it in the scriptures. I see it in the word. I see it in the Bible message. That's what I'm presenting. I see it. I see it as clearly as anything. But with myself, I often see things much clearer in terms of this is what the Bible teaches than I see things by way of personal possession. Do you understand what that means? You say, you mean you sometimes speak beyond your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd say most of the time that's the case. Now, should it remain always that way? The answer is no. It shouldn't. But that's part of a gift. That's part of a calling. That's a calling and that's a gift to see. I'm just saying what I see. I'm not making any of this up. I'm just giving you what I see. And it's so clear to me. It's becoming clearer all the time. But it's also coming clear to me that there needs to be a coming up into possession in actual experience in these matters, greater than we have had in the past. Let me go with you to Acts chapter 12. It says, About that time King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And after the arrest he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover and basically to have him killed. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. And So Peter's in prison. Now this is the circumstance, right? The circumstance. The position literally of Peter. Well, Let's read it to you. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution Peter bound with two chains was sleeping between two soldiers his left wrist would be shackled to the soldier on his left his right wrist wrist shackled to the soldier on his right he is encircled by a condition it's a circumstance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. This is now we're coming to this area where greater are they who are with us than those who are with them. You see, it's this now is where the circumstance is being encircled itself. Right? This is where the circumstance is being encircled. This is what is needed. And so the angel of the Lord, and, and, and aren't you, aren't you uh, he was sleeping, he was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. Would you be able to sleep in such a circumstance? Would you find yourself being able to sleep? I just asked the question. Some of you would. Donnie would. I have confidence that you would be able to sleep. I have more confidence that you would be able to sleep than I do that I would be able to sleep. (laughs) Yes, sir. But I'm not content just to keep saying that. You see, for myself, I want to see in my own personal experience a growth and development where I have as much confidence that I would be able to sleep as I do that you would be able to sleep. (laughs) So the angel, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up. He woke him up. And he said to him, get up. Well, he couldn't. (laughs) It's always this way. You know, you've read the scriptures, you know all the commands of Jesus, get up and walk, rise, take up your bed and walk. All these things that's impossible for people to do who are surrounded by a condition. That prevents them from doing that. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of both Old and New Testaments. That there is a realm that encircles that of the adversary and has power over the works of the adversary. That's it. And this must be manifested into the earth. And this is the enemies of Jesus being made a footstool for his feet. That's what it is. And this must happen. So he woke him up and he said, Get up, and then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel said to him, and put your sandals on. And he did so, wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So there's the two soldiers on one on each side, and then there's the gate, and then there's soldiers out there, beyond the gate, and the gate of course is locked. And so he went out and followed and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision and Peter himself as a man was hovering hovering between this realm of the spiritual and the realm of the natural. And he wasn't certain which one he was in. And if you've ever had a dream where it was so real that you weren't sure if you were awake or actually sleeping then you might be able to identify with you know, in a measure with regards to a dream. But this is not that. This is something very different than that. He thought he was seeing a vision. And after they passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city which opened to them by itself. And as Peter walked through that and was out into the street, then he realized this, the angel left him and Peter said, "This is real. In the realm of time and space, this is real." Well, you know the rest of the story. But I just re- present it because it's the same thing again, isn't it? It's the same thing again. What is your circumstance? What are you surrounded by? Are you surrounded by something that needs to be surrounded itself? When we begin to think along, you see, then we begin to take our eyes off that thing that is encircling us. We don't ignore it. We don't say it doesn't exist because it does. But when we realize that it, that condition itself is encircled, then our fear of it goes away. And our faith and confidence in that which surrounds it it rises up to the acceptable level of Bible faith. And faith pleases God. And without it, it's not possible to please God. Now we're able to please Him. And now we have what we ask of Him. That's the Bible. That's what it teaches. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what it teaches. I have one more. The ministry of Jesus, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village, ten men with serious skin condition, it says in my Bible. (laughs) You know this is a fairly new translation. (laughs) Hey, why don't they just say lepers? That's what they were. They had eczema. No, they didn't have eczema. They had a rash. No, they didn't have. They had leprosy ten men with leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. The rabbis decreed what distance was required. According to the rabbi, it could be anywhere from a rod, which would be 16 feet. Uh, I mean, in our way of reckoning, a rod is 16, 16 feet. Or it could be 100 paces. 100 paces, I think, was more often the case, or something approaching 100 paces. So they had to stand a ways off because they had a contagious disease for which there was no known cure. And so, being afar off or some distance, they raised their voices. Now, with the lepers, their voices were croaky and raspy because of the extreme dryness in their throats. And it was difficult for them to raise their voices. So they raised their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they had a condition. They had a condition. They were in a circumstance. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. This is what you did when you were healed of leprosy. Is you went to show yourself to the priest, the priest would examine you and say, oh yeah, you're clean now that I've examined you and you're clean, you make this offering, and then you can go home, be with your family, and rejoice, because you're you know you're you're well, you're clean. What a great joy! And when they became clean, then the encircled them had changed. But he said to them, "Go and show yourselves to the priest." And while they were going, they were healed. And this is the idea. They were in a circumstance and they were encircled and governed by a condition from which they were powerless to extract themselves. And Jesus said, you know, just basically obey me and do what I say to you. Go and to the priest to be examined by the priest. And as they walked in obedience, then that condition that surrounded the condition of leprosy that had power over it, visited them and liberated them from the power of the leprosy. It works this way all the time. This is the the way that the kingdom of God operates. This is the kingdom of God operating in the earth. That's what it is in every area. It says, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, he returned with a loud voice, gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner or Samaritan? They despised the Samaritans. And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your confidence in what you have been told, the revelation of truth to you. Now, that brings me this morning to the conclusion of my thoughts with you that I want to present to you this morning. I do believe that there's no need for me to add anything to it. I do believe that what we have been given an opportunity to process and to see and to consider deeply it has been given to us and I thank the Lord for it I only ask as we close that his authority power by his spirit would make alive these great truths this is what he does is to make these truths alive to us that we would then as they become alive to us they become real to us and as they become real to us then our level of faith or our faith bible faith is possible it's not possible until they begin to become real to us and you know that principle has been true in every stage of your walk with Christ Jesus did you ever do you remember when you first heard the gospel and the gospel said that you are a sinner and that Jesus died for your sins and rose again for your justification. And that it was necessary for you and me, for us to repent of our sins and come before him with repentance. Do you remember a time when you just heard that message and it was just words to you? And then there came a moment, if you're a believer, there came a moment when you heard that that same message and somehow it came alive to you. It was you heard it in a different way. You heard the words differently. There was a revelation of the truth of those words that permitted a confidence to rise up in you. And when that confidence rose up within you, you reached out and said, that's for me, that's mine. And you did what you were called forth to do. And you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's because your present circumstance was encircled by another authority or circumstance. And you were delivered. And set free. And every stage of your walk with Christ Jesus. From that time until today. Has been the same principle. The same principle. The same principle. And if that's true therefore. Then going forward. It will be the same principle. The same principle. I believe he has many more things to show us. And to do with us. And to reveal to us. And to raise us up in our walk to a higher level of revelation. So that means there's a higher level of faith. So when we talk about faith and when we talk about speaking the word only, there is no distance between the two. But we can speak all kinds of words, but if the faith is not at that quality level, nothing will happen. But when the faith is at that quality level, then the words will have the power. It's the same as if the Lord Jesus spoke them himself in terms of power. That's exactly what it is. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and guard you and teach you. This is our prayer for one another. As Ruth comes this morning. Ruth?